Hi, Spark. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We are in our series right now in the Gospel of Luke. And just to get you quickly caught up on some background before we get into our text, um, we're in the, the part of the story where Jesus has recently begun his ministry of preaching the good news and healing the sick, as covered by pastors Tom and Danielle in previous lessons from a couple weeks ago. And Jesus has begun to call his disciples. So he's building out his inner circle of followers. And uh, Sydney covered that in her lesson uh, for us last week. So today, Today, the text that we're going to cover is uh, as Jesus's ministry hits the road, uh, he starts drawing some big crowds and he starts drawing heat from critics who also uh, are part of those crowds. So let's uh, jump into our text today and we'll take it from there. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen some remarkable things today. Yeah, no kidding. There is so much to unpack in both of the miracles we just read, but for the sake of time today, we're only going to briefly cover the story of the man who has leprosy being healed, and we'll focus most of our time on the story of the man who's paralyzed. Um, in the story of the man who has leprosy, there are a, a couple fascinating lines that I think are worth at least bringing up, even though we won't go into them in detail. One is pointing out that in, in the story, the way Luke describes it, Jesus reached out to the man and touched his hand. This is Jesus who is not afraid of the social, uh, physical, or spiritual ramifications of healing this man and connecting with him in order to make him whole. And that is significant. Another line that may have stuck out to you uh, was that, uh, Luke says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
This presents us with a very human Jesus, one that many of us aren't used to thinking about, one who gets tired and overwhelmed by the crowds and can't heal everyone who needs it and regularly needs to retreat to be alone. I think that that is uh, that's something that's hard for a lot of us to dwell on for periods of time, and yet Luke emphasizes that here. Also, uh, after Jesus heals the man with leprosy, he tells him not to tell anyone. For many interpreters, this raises the challenge of what's called the messianic secret. Uh, in many passages in the Gospels, beyond just this one, Jesus often asks his followers not to reveal to the public who he was and what he was all about. Here, Luke and other gospel writers show us a Jesus who's very cautious and strategic and calculated about when to draw attention uh, and the ire of those who oppose him. He, he has a plan for how he thinks things should go down, uh, and, and he's trying to construct things in a way to maximize that. That, of course, is not to be confused with the other messianic secret, which is that that's not Jesus's natural hair color. So to our main story today, we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus's encounter with the man who was paralyzed. And uh, in this text, we, we encounter a few big questions that I think should, should help us frame the discussion. So one is that when Jesus saves the paralyzed man, what exactly is he saving the man from? Uh, second, why are the religious leaders in the audience so upset? by what Jesus did. Uh, and third, what does this text tell us and not tell us about what it means to holistically include people with disabilities in community life? So first, we should think through that first question of what is that man being saved from? So the, the way the text goes, it says that Jesus saw the faith of the man uh, and his friends who were lowering him down. And he and it says he forgave the man's sins. So that is salvation language. He is saving him, bringing him into the kingdom of God. And after he gets some pushback from critics saying, who do you think you are that you're forgiving people of their sins? He also heals the man, enabling him to walk. So already you can see for Jesus, salvation is not an either or binary, that it is either about forgiving people of their sins or physically or socially restoring them to their place in community life. That's a dichotomy that many people may force onto the text, but that is not how Luke operates. In fact, you can see a, a recurring theme that is strong in the Gospel of Luke that invites us to think of salvation as much broader than, than we have often been told uh, that it works. So for example, just a few verses later, there's a story where Jesus encounters a, a woman who the text calls a sinful woman who weeps at Jesus's feet. And to that woman, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The Greek word that he uses there, we often translate salvation, but Luke uses that same Greek word several other times in this gospel uh, that, that expand our minds on what salvation is about. There's another story a little later where Jesus is uh, encountering a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and he says to that woman, daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. 
There, the word we translate as healed is the same word that Luke uses earlier that we translate saved. Later on, Jesus encounters the the Samaritan man who has leprosy, much like in the story that we just read. And he says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And again, uh, a little later, when Jesus encounters a beggar in Jericho who was blind, he says to that man, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. So when Luke talks about salvation, he's thinking big. When Jesus does saving work, he's thinking much bigger than just giving people legal or spiritual access that they that their community would have uh, expected of them. Um, this is uh, Jesus telling someone, and through Luke, that leaving that uh, telling someone that their sins are forgiven while leaving them marginalized or in poverty is not really salvation, according to Luke. That it, there is a, a holistic view of justice that goes beyond that. Another pitfall we need to avoid uh, in using pass- is using passages like this to either consciously or non-consciously develop harmful prejudices against people with disabilities. Because we see Jesus literally saving sick people. And when we do, it's easy for us to develop a literally savior complex in our attitudes towards people with disabilities. And getting this right matters a lot because the stakes are really high. I know that you all are probably tired of hearing that there is yet another group that you may not have been paying attention to that is disproportionately affected by the pandemic that we're in. And yet people with disabilities are certainly uh, fit that description. And that is one that has not gotten a lot of discussion the way other marginalized groups during this pandemic have. And yes, I'm saying that is one more group that we have to think about, but we have to because we are Jesus people and that's what Jesus people do. And God supernaturally grants us the capacity to do that. So in order to uh, unpack the toxic attitudes that we uh, often have towards people with disabilities, it helps to use uh, a framework that uh, a lot of uh, people who study this issue use to, uh, to, to think through how, how historically um, people have thought about uh, people with disabilities. So this is, a, this is a, a, a threefold model of disability that thinks of uh, these models in terms of uh, a religious model that society used uh, especially a long time ago, then which transitioned into a medical model uh, that uh, shaped how we thought about people with disabilities and then um, moving towards the social model, uh, which is the, the model that experts in the field advocate for today. So let's walk through each one and you'll get what I'm saying um, when, when I say that this is a helpful way for us to understand some of the, the harmful uh, biases that, that we have um, when we think about people with disabilities. So the, the first one is the religious model. And the idea is that for a very long time uh, in, in our history, especially in the ancient world, um, there was this idea that people who have disabilities had disabilities because they had done bad things or they had not curried favor with God or the gods uh, in the right way. So in that model, good things happen to good people, however you want to define that, and bad things happen to bad people. You see this attitude 
actually reflected in some of the discussions that occur in the Gospels themselves. So, for example, there is uh, one, one point in the Gospel of John where Jesus encounters people uh, with a certain attitude. So the Gospel of John says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, what's, uh, who's at fault? for this man being born with a disability. This is a supernatural idea that, that um, there must be some cosmic punishment for why he is in that situation. And that uh, attitude exists outside of even organized religion. There's a lot of magical thinking out there uh, um, among lots of people that uh, revolves around really that, that if you want good things to happen to you in life, you have to imagine them and you can will them into existence. And the flip side of that is if bad things are happening to you or if you're stuck in your situation, you're not thinking positively enough or willing yourself out of it. Those approaches are extremely harmful to people who face systemic injustices that go beyond the choices that they've made. There's a, another model that, that society has moved to over time with the advent of scientific knowledge and the scientific method. And that is a, a medical model of disability. So that, that model predominantly thinks of disabilities as problems that need to be solved and that science is a tool to fix people with disabilities to make them more like the rest of us. Um, you, you often see the, the byproduct of this kind of approach is that we end up looking at people with disabilities as people to be pitied, as people who are broken and people who are in need of fixing. Again, you see this kind of attitude crop up in some ways in the Gospels themselves. Uh, there's a story that Luke will actually tell that connects to the one of the stories that we just read uh, a little bit ago, where it says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. It says, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have pity on me. The way Luke is constructing the stories, you get the idea that this man in his situation feels like the only way he can get Jesus's attention is if he appeals to Jesus's sense of pity. And he sees the able-bodied people around him as obstacles to his access. Of course, we know what Jesus does in the story. He saves that man holistically and allows him to connect back with society and be integrated once more. Uh, and that is also, you know, we, we have uh, benefited a great deal from this medical approach. There is uh, the reality of, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about leprosy uh, in this text where Jesus went around healing people who had leprosy. And really in, in the gospel context that the word used to describe leprosy there could uh, apply to a variety of skin conditions uh, that have existed over time. But uh, leprosy specifically, the way we scientifically understand it today is one that the medical model has tried to tackle um, by treating it uh, so that we can, you know, uh, prevent people from being in, in dire situations where, where it could be sick or harmful for them. So that's, that's part of the medical model that we have. So, for example, um, and th this is true, the American uh, Academy of Dermatology 
uh, has uh, using the scientific method has allowed us to come up with uh, these guidelines on how leprosy can be prevented. So there are two guidelines that they give. One, never handle an armadillo. And two, stay out of places where you find armadillos. So thank you, Jesus, for giving us the scientific method that allows us to come to those conclusions and help people. There's a third uh, there. Sorry, before that there, you know, this approach of this medical model can have uh, its its negative consequences, like we've been talking about, where it affects our understanding of people with disabilities, even in very subtle and small ways, but ones that are profound and pervasive. Take just the handicap symbol as it is one that I'm sure all of you are familiar with there without even knowing it you may realize that the the person in that picture sitting upright the way they are actually presents this passive image it almost looks like in order for that that person in the image to have access they need to be pushed around by somebody behind them. Consider an alternate version of that image where the person actually has more agency over their situation and they're using technology to have greater control uh, and access in their lives. It's those subtle differences that show the assumptions that we've made when we constructed the world the way that we have. The last model that I want us to talk through is the social model. That's one that uh, like I said, a lot of experts in the field have been trying to advocate for the most lately. And that model, um, it seeks to put the focus on the social structures that we put in place that create problems for people with disabilities. And uh, our social understanding of people with disabilities is pretty pathetic too. And in order to, to talk through that, I think we should bring up a, a term that makes sense in this situation, which is called benevolent ableism. Now you may remember uh, a few um, months ago uh, or a year ago, uh, I uh, when, when we preached through a lesson on Mary and her song that occurs early in the Gospel of Luke, uh, I brought up the, the um, phenomenon of benevolent sexism, where uh, in the case of Mary, but women in general, we, put, we, we think that we are uh, being benevolent towards women when we put them up on a pedestal like Mary and say that they're special and that they are better than us in so many ways and that they are inspiring in so many ways. When in reality, that kind of benevolent attitude is actually harmful to, to women, uh, ultimately, hence it's called benevolent sexism. Well, there is a, a, a an angle that, that occurs in ableism as well, where we have these attitudes and we say certain things about people with disabilities that make it sound like we're being positive, but what we're actually saying is highly problematic. So I've uh, uh, collected a, a couple of these images over the course of the last year. A couple examples that I can share with you all is, so you may have seen these kinds of attitudes represented. So one is a church sign that says, sometimes angels are disguised as kids with special needs to teach us how to be better people. You'll see in, a, in an Instagram post from Running Territory where, where it shows a, a woman who doesn't have one arm uh, lacing up and getting ready to run. She obviously looks uh, very fit and up for the challenge. And uh, the captioning by Running Territory is no more excuses, uh, implying that if she can do that, with one arm, then surely you, a person with two arms, can work hard and accomplish your fitness goals too. 
there's something wrong here when we treat it that way. Um, that it is perhaps uh, best um, deconstructed by uh, a speaker named Stella Young, who who gives a, a TED talk. It says, I'm not your inspiration. Thank you very much. And she highlights all of the ways that um, putting people with disabilities on a pedestal and saying that they're a model of perseverance and overcoming disabilities that we should uh, emulate is ultimately very problematic for, for people with disabilities. It doesn't actually help us have healthy attitudes towards people with disabilities. It helps us, it you know, perpetuates us putting them in a special bucket. It others them and it doesn't really do much towards us tearing down the uh, the roadblocks that we've put up to, to prevent them from accessing life the way the rest of us do. Then it's it's at this point in the story that it's actually helpful to return to the, the crux of the matter uh, with the, the man who was paralyzed. Um, when uh, we should ask ourselves now, why was it that Jesus's opponents were upset when Jesus forgave that man uh, of his sins and enabled him to walk? They're upset because Jesus is claiming that the divine presence is in their midst and it's flipping the social order and bending their understanding of who has access to God. Jesus claims to be saving this man on his own authority, an authority, by the way, that he later passes on to his followers to do the exact same kinds of things that he does. In a few chapters, Luke will have Jesus say, uh, it'll say, when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That man and his friends didn't have to lower him through the roof because he couldn't walk. They had to because people wouldn't let him through. He was literally an outsider. His legs weren't the real problem in this situation. The people were. And by the way, in that light, saying he has special needs almost seems patronizing. That man's needs were not special. Forgiveness, healing, restoration, community, those are basic human needs that all people had when they encountered Jesus. How he accessed what it takes for him to meet those needs is different. And the men who lowered the paralyzed man uh, into the room aren't doing him a favor in that sense by helping him get access. They're doing what is right and just and fair in that situation. And yes, Jesus did ultimately make the man able to walk. In that place and in that time, that was how he could restore the man to his community. But what can we do today? Can we do that and more? You may not feel like you can make people walk, but you can build better buildings and playgrounds and better products and UIs, ones that truly grant access. Not because it helps your company's bottom line, but because it's just and right and beautiful and true. For Luke, Jesus, salvation, healing, those are all bigger and more encompassing than we could have possibly imagined. Yes, it means proclaiming the good news and saving people from their sins, but also it means bringing physical and social restoration into people's lives. Yes, healing the sick means using your resources to eradicate diseases. 
keeping people away from armadillos. And it also means tearing down the ableist social structures that we put up so that people with disabilities can have just and fair access to community life. Tear the roof down if you have to. There is much work to do in the name of Jesus. This is now uh, our time together where we truly um, reflect on the access that we've all been granted, where the barriers that, that we have for true communal life have been torn down by Jesus, and we share in communion together. And we, we do that uh, through and alongside the tradition that was established by Jesus and his followers themselves. Um, and it begins in scripture where it says, for in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, our Lord took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All, truly all, are welcome to this table.